Because America negotiated from a position of strength and principle, we have stopped the spread of nuclear weapons in this region. Because of this deal, the international community will be able to verify that the Islamic Republic of Iran will not develop a nuclear weapon. Every pathway to a nuclear weapon is cut off. The pushback was immediate. When President Obama announced the signing of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, often abbreviated as the JCPOA and commonly known as the Iran Deal, critics wasted no time whatsoever. In fact, some members of Congress came out against the agreement before they could have possibly even read it. Later, then-candidate Donald Trump said this. I've been doing deals for a long time. I've been making lots of wonderful deals, great deals. That's what I do. Never, ever, ever in my life have I seen any transaction so incompetently negotiated as our deal with Iran. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, the former presidential candidate, had this to say. If this deal goes through, we know to an absolute certainty people will die. Americans will die, Israelis will die, Europeans will die. Then there were the committee hearings, the ones where then-Secretary of State John Kerry and other senior Obama administration officials were selling the deal to Congress. Some of them got a little heated, and not always over substance. And if the Ayatollah doesn't like it, and doesn't want to negotiate it, oh boo-hoo! We're, we're here for America. We stand for America. You represent America. Congressman, I don't need any lessons from you about who I represent. I've represented and fought for our country since I was out of college. And God oh, bless you for your so service, don't give me sir. any lessons about that, okay? Amazingly, this exchange got even worse. Now, we believe that Iran was marching towards a weapon or the capacity to have a weapon, and we've rolled that back, Congressman. Okay, that's your opinion. That's I indisputable. That's no, Let me ask you this. That's Let a me fact. ask you this, Mr. Secretary. That's a fact. Is Ultimately, diplomacy won the day. And July 14th marks the two-year anniversary since the agreement was signed. So amidst all of the rancor and division, what actually is this agreement? What does it do? Why was it, why is it still controversial? What does the future hold for it? What would happen if we withdrew from it? We have some factual answers to those questions coming up, including from two of the very people who actually negotiated the agreement. This is Nukes of Hazard, a podcast from the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation in Washington, D.C. I'm James McKeon, a policy analyst here at the Center. The Trump administration is currently undergoing what they're calling an Iran policy review, which includes a review of the Iran nuclear agreement. To mark the two-year anniversary since the deal was signed, we wanted to focus this week's podcast on examining the history and future of the agreement. So, you might be thinking, I've heard of the Iran deal, but... What exactly is it? Before we get there, let's talk about what the situation with Iran was like before the agreement. The United Nations uh, Security Council are very concerned that Iran was on a path to get a nuclear weapon. That's Ambassador Wendy Sherman, who served as the Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs in the Obama administration from 2011 to 2015. And she was also the lead American negotiator for the Iran deal. 
Before the agreement, global concern about Iran's nuclear program dominated the news. Much of the world is lined up against Iran's nuclear program, Israel is threatening to go to war over it, and the U.S. is pushing for extreme new sanctions. So you might not expect the Iranians to go on TV to brag about their nuclear achievements. But today, the Iranian president, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, claimed that his country has made an important advance in the process of enriching uranium, which is necessary to make the fuel for a bomb. So how did we get from there to an agreement? Well, it was complicated. Sanctions were, uh, notwithstanding Iranian government uh, you know, statements to the contrary, clearly a major uh, issue for the Iranians and part of the reason why they wanted the deal. That's Richard Nephew, now a scholar at Columbia University, who was the principal deputy coordinator for sanctions policy and served as the lead American sanctions expert during the negotiations with Iran. Those sanctions, they were Herculean and American-led. The Obama administration was able to convince countries around the world, including the United Nations Security Council, to impose sanctions against Iran's nuclear program with the goal of hurting their economy enough that they would come to the table. I recall an uh, Iranian senior negotiator uh, you know, dismissing the idea that sanctions had any impact in uh, changing Iran's interest in the deal. And I said, well, fine, we don't have to have sanctions relief. And, and they walked back from that ledge pretty quickly. So, you know, I, I think that the Iranians uh, were feeling significant economic pressure. Uh, they uh, looked around and they saw that the only way they were going to get the economy back on track was by cutting a deal with the United States and our partners over the nuclear issue. They definitely produced the kind of leverage and pressure on the Iranian system to make some tough choices. And I, I candidly don't think that they would have been willing to make those choices, whether with regard to restrictions on the nuclear program or increased transparency, without the pressure of sanctions. And so, as sanctions pressure continued to mount, Iran and the United States began some back-channel secret discussions. And then... The real opportunity came uh, when President Rouhani uh, was elected uh, president of Iran uh, and really got very serious about wanting to uh, try to see if a deal was possible uh, and uh, put uh, foreign, then Foreign Minister Javad Zarif in charge of seeing if that could happen and indeed uh, the rest is history. Iranian President Hassan Rouhani is no moderate but he's far more pragmatic than his predecessor, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. In fact, one of Mr. Rouhani's campaign planks was engaging with the United States to discuss difficult issues. The U.S. and Iran haven't had a formal diplomatic relationship since the Iranian Revolution and ensuing hostage crisis in 1979. That made it sort of strange for those involved in the U.S.-Iran talks to actually be, you know, talking to one another. Richard Nephew remembers what it was like to just stand in an elevator with his Iranian counterpart during the secret talks before the formal negotiations began. We'd spent hours looking across the conference table at one another, but here we're supposed to not only be strangers, but be very hostile actors towards one another. And you know, we both kind of stood there at 2 o'clock in the morning with somebody else and got on the elevator, keeping to our separate sides. Uh, until that person got off. And we kind of then looked at each other and said, this is a little weird, isn't it? A little strange that we're uh, engaged in this process. And, and that was a humanizing moment. Ambassador Sherman remembered simply eating in the same dining room for the first time. They had Persian food catered into their dining room, and it was terrific, and helped to forge 
the kind of human relationship you need, uh, not necessarily to create trust, because I don't think there's trust yet between Iran and the United States, uh, but uh, some respect and at least a working relationship to try to get to a conclusion. She also remembered the difficulties of the negotiations. There were tough moments. There were plenty of moments when we thought we would fail, uh, that it wouldn't work, that you have to be ready to get up and walk out of the room. Uh, there was a time when I was in Geneva for a bilateral meeting with the Iranians. Things were not going well. I called Secretary Kerry. I said, I think you should delay your coming. He said, go back and tell Minister Zarif unless some progress is made, I'm not coming. But they didn't fail. The negotiations first produced in November 2013 what was known as the Joint Plan of Action, or JPOA, an interim agreement that put the first restrictions on Iran's nuclear program. And then, skipping over a lot of details, 20 months later, the full agreement, the JCPOA, was signed. And what's in the agreement, you ask? There are two main ways to build a nuclear bomb, uranium and plutonium. The Iran deal blocked both those paths for Iran, and it also rolled back some of the progress they had already made. That's Greg Tarrant, a fellow policy analyst who has been our Iran deal guru the last couple of years. As fate would have it, his last day with us was actually July 14th, the anniversary of the signing of the agreement. Stanford's law school will be lucky to have him in the fall. On the uranium side, the deal forces Iran to only enrich uranium up to 3.67%. That's enough for a nuclear energy program, but not enough for a bomb. Weapons-grade uranium needs to be enriched past 90%. That's Alexandra Bell, our senior policy director and a former Obama administration appointee at the State Department. Iran also had to reduce its installed centrifuges by two-thirds. It's the centrifuges that actually do the enrichment. And people forget, Iran filled the core of its isolated underground reactor with concrete, making it completely unusable. That's a major achievement. Had they not done that, Iran would have had access to an estimated two bombs worth plutonium every year. And all of this was and continues to be verified by the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, whose on-the-ground inspectors have access to Iran's relevant facilities. Even critics of the JCPOA acknowledge that the deal is, by any measure, an unprecedented arms control agreement in terms of verification and monitoring. Also, there's one thing we haven't mentioned yet. This was not a deal just between the United States and Iran. It was a deal uh, that was forged with all the permanent members of the Security Council, uh, the United Kingdom, France, Russia, China, the United States, plus Germany. That conglomeration is known as the P5 plus one. Coordinated by the European Union, endorsed by the entire European Union, and uh, a 15 to nothing vote in the Security Council of the United Nations in support. So this isn't just an agreement between the U.S. and Iran. It's a multilateral agreement with some of the world's major powers. While the details can get complicated, we could spend hours walking you through them. The core of the deal is fairly simple. Iran agreed to major restrictions and a rollback of its nuclear program in exchange for nuclear-related sanctions relief. All other sanctions against Iran for its destabilizing activities, like Tehran's human rights violations, its sponsorship for terrorism, its ballistic missile programs, they're still in place. And they aren't going anywhere, unless Iran changes its ways. And there's a reason the JCPOA only deals with a nuclear issue. If negotiators tried to encompass all of Iran's nefarious activities into one grand agreement, the chances of success, like actually rolling back and limiting Iran's nuclear program in addition to everything else, 
would have been nearly impossible. By focusing on one issue, we reached a landmark agreement through concentrated principle diplomacy. And if Iran does violate the JCPOA, we're able to reimpose nuclear sanctions right back on them, a process known as snapback sanctions. So where are we now, two years later? Iran's nuclear program is now at least a year away from uh, being able to give a nuclear weapons option to the Iranian government. Before the agreement, intelligence officials estimated that Iran would have enough nuclear material for a bomb within two to three months, not one year like today. We've got a lot of transparency into that. The IAEA has been able to report consistently Iranian compliance. The U.S. government has certified compliance. Uh, all of our partners in the agreement, uh, the permanent members of the Security Council plus Germany and the European Union, also believe uh, that all the parties to the agreement have complied. Uh, and that's very important uh, because it says that this is an agreement which uh, looks like it is durable and sustainable and will achieve the objective of ensuring that Iran uh, never obtains a nuclear weapon. It's not just Ambassador Sherman, Richard Nephew, and the IAEA indicating that Iran is following the deal. It's also the Trump administration. The administration is required by law every 90 days to assess Iranian compliance with the agreement. And Secretary Tillerson wrote to Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives Paul Ryan on April 18th, certifying that Iran is in compliance. Press reports indicate that he will do so again before the deadline expires in the near future. Moreover, every 120 days, President Trump has the option to waive the nuclear sanctions against Iran. If he doesn't, we would breach our end of the deal. And so far, he's waived them, yet another admission that the Iranians are complying. But at the same time, the Trump administration continues its Iran policy review. What if that review determines that the U.S. should unilaterally withdraw from the agreement? Well. The consequences would be really bad, and that's an understatement. If the United States withdrew, we would be saying to all of our partners uh, that we alone were going to make a decision that would have consequences for the entire world. I think that Iran would immediately start up their program again. They would be back on the road uh, to nuclear weapons. President Obama understood that military action is certainly something we had to be prepared to do, but... You can't bomb away someone's knowledge, and Iran knows how to do what it knows how to do, and it has mastered the entire nuclear fuel cycle. Mm -hmm. I think it would be very hard to get international cooperation on sanctions if we unilaterally withdrew from the agreement, uh, and it would certainly uh, increase even further uh, the very malicious activity by Iran in the Middle East uh, and elsewhere in the world. Richard Nephew agreed. If Iran decides that it can't take U.S. renunciation of the JCPOA without restarting its nuclear program, you have the worst of all worlds, which is a restarted nuclear program without the ability of the United States to drive an international coalition to stop it. And that, I think, is where you have the increased risk of, of conflict and potential war. An argument you are likely to hear from critics of the agreement comes down to this. Okay, sure, the Iran deal did some good things, but it didn't do everything we wanted. We could have gotten more. What we need to do is go back to the table and renegotiate a better agreement. This was the exact argument of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. 
The alternative to this bad deal is a much better deal. It's important to note that there are numerous senior Israeli officials who support the agreement, including Ephraim Halevi, the former head of Israel's national intelligence agency, Mossad, and the current head of the Israel Defense Forces, or IDF, Lieutenant General Gadi Eisenkot, is quoted on the record saying, quote, Without a doubt, the nuclear deal between Iran and the West is a historic turning point. It is a big change in terms of the direction that Iran was headed, and in the way that we saw things, end quote. He also augmented by saying the agreement is, quote, a real change. This is a strategic turning point, end quote. Bernadette Stadler, the center's Herbert Scoville Jr. Peace Fellow, actually asked Ambassador Sherman this. So we often hear people say that we could have gotten a better deal with Iran. What do you say to that? I'd like them to sit for uh, nearly two years uh, with a Rubik's Cube of literally hundreds of details uh, and see if they could get a better deal. Um, Again, this is not just a bilateral deal with the United States. President Obama was quite clear that we had to make sure that every avenue for Iran to uh, get the fissile material that would make a nuclear weapon had to be closed down. We achieved that. We achieved it for a very long period of time, uh, perhaps forever, and it was a very tough go uh, many times uh, where we had to be prepared, as I said earlier, to walk away. So no deal is 100% perfect from anybody's point of view because by nature, A negotiation means you have to have some give and take, uh, but what you cannot do is compromise your fundamental objective, and that is to ensure that Iran never obtain a nuclear weapon, and that objective was achieved. If you enjoyed this episode of Nukes of Hazard, please consider giving us a rating on iTunes. And if you have any questions or comments, you can shoot us an email at podcast at armscontrolcenter.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at at nukes underscore of underscore hazard. Our Facebook page is www.facebook.com slash armscontrolcenter. And if you want to know more about the Iran deal, check out the fact sheets on our website, www.armscontrolcenter.org. We'll also have the full transcripts of our interviews with Ambassador Sherman and Richard Nephew online soon. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.